Next Chapter Podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, you can take a papa number. Divided by you guys got to understand, the first time I put this record on to listen to it for the podcast was the first time I had heard of the Minutemen, and I can't fucking believe this song, Vietnam, has been out of my life for 40 years. Holy shit. It's by the Minutemen, off their 1984 album, Double Nickels on the Dime. It's also 413 out of 500. On the 500 with Josh Adam Myers, where we're going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. You guys got to see I'm pointing. I'm pointing every time I said it. Going through the 500 albums. Five of the data one. Police Army. Dude, the world is, is insane right now. It's crazy. But I love all of you. And I know if you're like me, you are just sitting in the pocket maybe in the cut listening to the albums smoking a joint maybe taking mushrooms it's fine if you do you can do DMT too I've never done it but I just need to find a shaman and then it's off to the races everybody um so this record is one that I am embarrassed to say that I had no idea how good it was going to be and to absorb this record to really really dig into it it's just so different and it was so nice for this record to come out at the right moment guess what the guest of this knows the band knows all this is like you talk about how shit like comes together it really comes together my guest is Dave Perner the front man for Soul Asylum. You guys know Soul Asylum? You got that song? Runaway train, never come back. Wrong way on a speeding mountain doo Dude, awesome guy. I was so happy to be able to sit down with Dave and talk about Minutemen because me as a new fan, him as a longtime fan, that's when it becomes Dougal. When you just like, and we combine and we form like Voltron, like we are Wu-Tang. Rate, review, most importantly, subscribe to the 500. Listen on Spotify, listen on Apple, listen any way you guys can get it. Subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, please, I'm begging you, give us a five-star review, rate and review. Do both. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, and The 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing like the same, but here we go. With number 413 out of 500. With double nickels on the dime by Minutemen.
a hay You know what? I, that, this is why I love doing this over Zoom, too, is just to see you doing a little skibbity boop bop. Oh, that wow. shit was I, I, people stare at me, so it's, I mean, <laughs> I had to, I had to groove along with that beautiful rendition. I like the lyrics; They're, I think are excellent. Of Corona, which I'm telling, this is this is. There's always been so much discovery in the what like 84 records that I've done so far on this podcast. But when I found out that the Minutemen wrote the theme song to Jackass, it completely blew, like it stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, "No way! Oh my god! It's just wait. There's more to it than just the the opening. It's one of those like things that was just like a little Easter egg nugget that I loved." Tell me about, though, your history with the Minutemen, because you're a fan of them. You know, you, you were a punk rocker with Soul Asylum, everything. It's like, like, tell me about your relationship with the band Minutemen. Well, I, I think I was a typical punk rock kid in Minneapolis. Uh, the first time I saw them was at a place called Goofy's, which had a strip club on the first floor. And I believe the bill was Black Flag, the Minutemen, and I want to say White Cross was on the bill, but I'm not positive of that. Anyways, the the Minutemen just kind of blew my brain out. And, you know, it was, uh, we were, we were, we were young and uh, they were incredible. I remember the set vividly, especially when Debu's guitar broke. He just did a crazy dance. And that was pretty awesome. Uh, like by and by, we started ended up on bills with the Minutemen, and you know Watts very forthcoming. Um, also, you know Husker Du was on SST, and so uh, were the Meat Puppets and the Minutemen. And I, I, my, the Meat Puppets are probably my favorite band in the whole wide world, and there seemed to be a bit of a like a bit of a, a connection going on there. So like we go, we would, we were touring opening for Husker Du and we would end up on a lot of bills with, a, you know, a bunch of SST bands. And that's how I met the fellas. Uh, Hurley is hilarious. Um, but really what uh, was very, uh, well is, he, he's a, a bit of a guru, I think, touring Econo and, and, the DYI uh, sort of perspective, I think that he is a great example for just about anybody that wants to say, well, what do you have to do to be in a rock band? You know, you get in the fucking band and, you, yeah. you know. Um, you fucking rock. So, yeah. Um, and I've just been a huge fan. You know, I bought all their records when they came out. Well, I mean, you know. Let me ask you this, Dave. So what was it like? hearing double nickel on the dime the first time like just because in my opinion and listen i'm not a huge punk rock fan i grew up in the dc hardcore scene uh i've seen fugazi god knows how many times and uh but this was really my first foray into the Minutemen. and i mean i, I just want to know from your perspective somebody that was out jamming with them you know you're you're in the scene like what is that like to hear a record like this and be and being it having it called punk uh i think it was kind of a breakthrough i mean i think it was kind of a monumental endeavor if you will did i just say that um and zen arcade came out at around you know yeah 
by Husker Du. Same sort of time. So they were just uh, profoundly prolific, both bands. And uh, boy, those two double records just kind of like up the bar, I think, for everyone else. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know of a double record that's made sense either one of those records that impressed me that much. You know, I mean, I don't know what I'm missing here, but. I can't think of one. <laughs> In, I, like I said, I had never heard of Minutemen. Um, I'd heard of Mike Watt. Um, had no idea about the story of the band. Was expecting punk. And what I think this record, just like you said, I don't think there has ever been a punk record, quote-unquote punk record, that has ever been so eclectic with so many musical styles. All I could think of was uh, Credence. I was like, fuck, they did everything, man. It didn't matter what kind of music it was. They could find their own way of getting to it, which was pretty fascinating considering that they were a trio. And and Boone's sound was never, like, bombastic, you know, like, like maybe Bob Mould's sound or something like that, or Greg Ginn's sound, for that matter. Um, it, it was Telecaster. It was more clickety rhythmic-y, like, kind of like how I play a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there was nothing they wouldn't try. And they usually were pretty good at it. Yeah. I mean, I just watched the documentary um, on the band, and to see so many influential uh, punk rock musicians, rock musicians, like just talk about how influential this record was, how big this was, everything that you just said. And, and to be able to watch them play even makes, I think the music that you're listening to that much better. Like once I watched that documentary and listened to the record again, I was like, wow. I was like, I love this record like so much more. And because, like, they were so tight, and, and as everybody said, it was like sometimes you have guys that just know how to play together, but sometimes you have guys that just are so connected on stage that it only works because it's the three of them. And I really do think with because of, of D. Boone and, and Watt that, you know, that this band, just because they were so connected on stage. Like, what was it like seeing them live? Just It was just blew you away. You're like, where is Pedro? They always talk about Pedro, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? You know, but uh, yes, they definitely seem to hail from the same. You know, they all crawled out from under the same rock, or however you want to put it, same neighborhood. Friends, been jamming since they were kids. Definitely had that sort of brothers in arms kind of feeling. Um, but yeah, again, it's so spontaneous. I mean, a lot of the groups back then, they would they would just string every, there was this much time between every song. And I still try to sort of keep that up. But uh, yeah, yeah, just they would start going and they'd go and go and go and go and go. And uh, it was very exciting. And and again, you know, the the fact that they were so eclectic made them much more interesting to me. There was a certain sound of what hardcore punk was supposed to sound like, I think, depending on your perspective. Yeah. But well, it's like minor threat. You think of minor threat, you think of like black flag, you think of like hard and yeah. mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they were funny, you know, and they were just 
really talented and goofy and they made you want to dance and they made you want to jump around yeah. and uh then you got this whole another level of lyrics going on which it's the whole package you know yeah so so it's funny that you said about uh not being funny like you i was watching the documentary and they have they have d boone like dancing but he's wearing like women's orthopedic shoes and like like they didn't fit that like punk rock look like they just they look like you know like regular dudes like there's no if i saw them if i saw that picture i would be like yeah they're probably like in a maybe like a country outfit you know what i mean kind of maybe uh Oh, you know, yeah. alternative rock, but I never would have thought even considered punk rock from just the picture of him. Maybe Hurley a little bit. You know, they're just very versatile and uh, just a joy. They brought a certain amount of joy to the we're all mean and angry punk rockers. And uh, I think that sadly, the thing that is missed the most about punk rockers and punk rock music and the whole whatever you want to call it, kit and caboodle, there's an awful lot of humor involved. And when people see these dead serious dudes, I mean, I, I probably look like I'm pretty serious sometimes on stage, but, you know, I like to have a laugh as much as the next guy. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of really funny stuff going on. And it was absurd in a, in a way, too, that made it uh, new and dangerous and weird. Just just people yeah. expressing themselves. <laughs> in a rock band in ways that you just kind of were like, wow, I didn't know you could do that on stage, you know? So it's kind of an anything goes kind of thing, you know? And I suppose there's a whole nother side to punk rock that is uh, rules and outfits and everything has to be such a way. And, you know, the Minutemen flew in the face of all that. Thank God, you know? They were more punk rock than anyone, actually. I, I you, well, I think punk rock is by going against the norm. You know, you drive your own van, and you, you, you know, you, yeah. You don't spend a lot of time with hairspray before the gig, and you know things like that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. What I what I love is, and I think there's, I think what what you can get, and I think a lot of the Fleece Army, our listeners, like probably agree with if they've never listened to this, is how many bands you can hear that were influenced by Minutemen, 
I mean, the the I was not just enough. like, I mean, but not <laughs> not enough, but but a lot, but but a lot of them that, but not, but a lot of them that are really like killer bands. Like I heard Jane's Addiction, of course, I heard Red Hot Chili Peppers. The band that I really think might be influenced by him is At the Drive-In. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I never thought of that. That's pretty good. Yeah, dude. It's just I can I can hear so many. I actually, it's funny because I'm gonna bring it up in a song later. I'm I'm. I hit up Tom Marillo and I was like, yo dude, I was like, is, was, were you, were you influenced by, by this band? And he was like, dude, I've seen him live. I love him. He's like, but that was all Zach and that was all Tim. And, and after hearing that, I was like, no. And you can hear the bass and you're like, yeah, it does sound like Getty from Rush, but I hear a little bit of Mike Watt. This, listen, I, I'm, I am so stoked that this album came up and I'm glad there was the documentary because I was able to like really get a feel for this band in a week. And now I'm like really digging into their other music. I, I, I'm just completely still blown away. All right, let's find out more about Minutemen and what got us to this record. So this was released on July 3rd, 1984 on SST Records and produced by Ethan James. Uh, and this is the third LP by Minutemen. And uh, so basically, D. Boone and Mike Watt met when they were 13 in their hometown of San Pedro, a Los Angeles port city. Boone's mother had taught her son to play guitar and suggested Watt learn bass to keep them both safely off the street. Uh, in 73, uh, they got pawn shop instruments and they started a cover band doing classic rock, 70s, all that shit. Uh, but then uh, in 76, when they graduated from San Pedro High School, they discovered punk rock right around the time uh, Boone's mother died. The band had broken up. The next year, Boone and Watt joined another short-lived band before hooking up with fellow San Pedro High School graduate drummer George Hurley to form the Reactionaries with vocalist Martin, I'm going to fuck this name up, Tam Burovich. Actually, it wasn't that hard. Good job, Josh. Until Boone thought that having a lead singer was too... Uh, I can't read this word. Bourgeois? Bougie? Bougie? I get it, though. I mean, lead singers kind of are lead singers. Yeah, they're lead singers. LSD. Lead singer disorder. Everyone hates them, basically. Everybody hates them. Everybody likes the guitar player that's the underdog guy in the band, you know? Oh, for sure. Come on, Jimmy Page, Pete Townsend, who are you going to take? You going to take Mick Jagger and Roger Daltrey? I mean, come on. Keith Richards, who doesn't? I mean, it's a rotten gig being a lead singer i'll tell you that i have to play guitar otherwise i i'd look uh boosh borgios borgios that's whatever the word is so basically they went without a lead singer and by 80 boone is the lead singer and he and watt formed Minutemen and basically brought george hurley from the reactionaries on as their drummer this is the shit that i really love about this so after recording an lp's worth of songs for their third record they heard label mate husker dues then unreleased zen arcade exactly what you said that inspired them to write more material and release their own epic double album and they even outsourced some lyrics to punk rock contemporaries and friends of theirs this is the best shit they decided their loose concept would be about cars and inspired by Pink Floyd's 1969 double album, Uma Guma. They let each member pick their favorite songs uh, out of the new batch for their own side of the two record set. 
Each side would start with the band members' car starting up. The fourth side was just all leftover tracks. And this album, all 45 songs, go for everything from punk to funk to jazz to minimalist post-punk to country to spoken word. Uh, And the title was a reaction to Sammy Hagar's recent hit, I Can't Drive 55, which they felt was a safe rock song about being defiant and dangerous. I did not know that. That's hilarious. Yeah, dude. That's like the the whole thing is the, the trucker slang in the title is basically obeying 55 miles per hour speed limit on the 10 freeway home to San Pedro. Good to know. So while no singles were released, a UCLA graduate made a video for Ain't No Picnic for under 600 that got them a nomination for an MTV award. It sold 15,000 copies that year, which was pretty good. Yeah, dude, I just watched the music video and it's got like Reagan dropping bombs on them and like the grounds exploding. And you're like, that was nominated. That's great. I was like, wow, man, they they did that for six grand. No, for 600. (laughs) Yeah, dude. It's probably 16 millimeter film. The, the explosions were pretty impressive, though. I'm sure they have a friend that knows how to blow shit up, you know? So the album sold 15,000 copies that year, which was really good for a punk band on an independent label. So I want to ask you this, being being that we're talking about their, the little bit of success that they were starting to have. What was Soul Asylum's first moment where you were like, you're like, this is happening. Like, like this shit is fucking moving. Hmm. Hmm, that's a good question. I think when we got signed to Twin Tone, you know, we were playing a gig in Madison, Wisconsin, at I think the bar was called Slims or something. And Pete Jesperson from Twin Tone Records was there with the replacements, and he gave us a record deal after the gig. And I thought, wow, this is it. I've I've made it. And at that point, you know, we were already traveling around in a van. It was actually a pickup truck for a while, which was not a great way to tour. Yeah, like band members falling out of the back. <laughs> like, we lost the bassist. We'll, we'll pick one up in Toledo. It's a weird story. The t- we had a topper on the back of the pickup truck, and that was acquired illegally. And then uh, it ended up in the Mississippi River. Nice. So Carl had a pickup truck. We called it Clarence. It's a long story, but anyways... Uh, yeah, you take these little baby steps, and then you, oh, we're going to go to Wisconsin and play. And, oh, and uh, you know, you start to meet all the bands in the Midwest because you're playing all these, you're just playing anywhere and everywhere that will have you. So you're basically meeting everyone in the, in the I don't know what you want to call it, in this punk rock community. Everyone sleeps on each other's floors and each other's couches if you're lucky. And if you get scabies from the couch, then you're not lucky. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it was very a tight-knit community as far as I'm concerned. And there was very little money, but everyone kind of, you know, supported each other. And that was was a nice thing. I don't know what how that works today, but it was great. So... Yeah, once we once we were once it's like, oh, we're gonna make a record, I thought, oh man, this is gonna start we're gonna have a record. Now we can go on tour and people will be able to I don't know, have a recording, which of course 
really never worked very great in the beginning. But then we got this great reputation for a band that was great live, but made kind of shitty sounding records, which is kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> you got to have the whole experience, you know, I mean, you know, which, you know, live music is, uh, you know, it's a gift. All right. So, uh, the band toured restlessly for the album, put out another EP and LP the following year, but tragically a couple weeks after their last show opening for an REM tour on December 22nd of 1985, D. Boone was killed in a van accident at the age of 27, effectively ending the band. Uh, after a lengthy bout of depression, Watt was urged by label mate Sonic Youth to continue playing, so he and Hurley put together the band Firehouse with singer-guitarist Ed... Crawford and uh, the posthumous Minutemen live compilation Ballot Result was released two years after Boone's death. Then the documentary that I talked about, We Jam Econo, uh, the story of the Minutemen was released in 2005. And Double Nickels on the Dime ended up becoming their best selling, most loved, and most critically acclaimed record, inspiring other bands uh, that I didn't even think of that my writer did. Big ups, Morty, for this. Wilco, Pavement. Dinosaur Jr. And I couldn't agree more, man. It's like this album just feels like... It all makes sense. Yeah, man. It's just... It, it, it feels like this is bigger than punk rock. It feels like this should be known by more people because I think it's that important in, in, the, in the landscape of music and especially, like we said, in punk rock. It's like you're changing the game. And there's so many songs on this record that I feel add to that statement. Like, like let's dive in, all right? So the album opens with Anxious Mofo. Uh, Peter, play uh, the opening of it. Cheers is a heart attack! Make you feel this way. The first thing I, I heard uh, and noticed about this was the bass, and immediately I thought to myself, did Red Hot Chili Peppers steal this sound? Wow. Well, that's pretty, pretty bold assessment, but I don't think it's a big stretch to say that, you know, Watt had a style that was extremely influential. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far because I think, you know, Flea has a pretty broad sense of influences, but... Yeah, you know, as far as being a, a driven a three piece that has is featuring the bass, uh, that's sure. that's a fair kind of. I would say stole it, but maybe there wouldn't be one without the other. I mean, I don't know. No, I listen. I, I don't think that Flea was in the documentary, so I don't think he stole anything. I just I, you can I can only imagine him, him hearing. Minutemen and, and being like, yes! yeah, dude, that's yeah, dude, that's the sound mm. I want to fucking go for. So I wanted to ask you this. Like, because Soul Asylum started off as a punk band called Loud Fast Rules. How important was holding on to your punk credibility while the band was naturally evolving? Uh, gosh. Uh, well, it was sort of everything and nothing all at the same time. I mean, if you, in my humble opinion, if you're sort of trying to conform to the rules of whatever punk rock is, that's just... It's not what it is to me. Uh, it's kind of about everybody doing their own thing, which is why I love the Minutemen. 
And uh, to me, the bands that were interesting and influential were kind of, I mean, it sounds kind of strange, but they were kind of going against the grain a little bit, just as far as, I understand that you want balls out all the time. I totally get it, you know, and I totally understand that uh, the difference between the Ramones and the Clash, for instance, that's that's a difference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how far out of your comfort zone or whatever it is, you know, if uh, Metallica started putting Spanish guitar songs on their record, man, they probably wouldn't. This is my guess. You know, I don't know. I get it. <laughs> no, I, I totally I get what you're saying. But uh, but don't forget that Metallica did play with an orchestra and they had a whole, oh, yes. they had like four piccolo players. Symphonic album, rock, that's you know, what that's they call that. The most so metal symphonic shit. Metal, fuck, yes. <laughs> symphonic metal, <laughs> Symphonic. They even had the, they had the piccolo even kind of match uh, James's. No! All right, I wanted to move on to Vietnam. So Peter, play the intro. All right, so this might be one of my favorite starts to any song ever. It's hot. It's hot, that's, man. That's hotter than a chili pepper. Yes. I don't mean the band either. All right. That's hot. So Boone's ardent leftist political leanings are reflected in this post-Vietnam War protest song that remarks about the percentage of U.S. soldiers that died there over the 10-year war. Which is, to me, when I start reading all of this stuff, like, I, I know that punk bands have a message. A lot of them do lean political. But in such a fun song like this, to be talking about such heavy shit, it's just, it's a perfect dichotomy where you're like, you don't realize you're getting this information over top of this, like, this, like, funk song, which is fantastic. Well, I mean, a prime motivator for me has always been that you can sort of have your music and sort of learn something from it or at least you know not listen to 30 songs about you know sex <laughs> or dancing or something sure so that was always a big deal for me and uh they were very good at it you know? so i well i had a question for you because you played at the request of then president bill clinton twice do you do you ever regret being aligned with any political affiliation or no, I mean that's the only one that where we got invited, you know, to play at the White House or whatever, but no, I mean at the time I I supported I mean he's still relatively good compared to a lot of other things. Sure. I mean so no. I, I don't, and I and I don't endorse uh, anyone that I don't, you know, support. Yeah. Um, so, what was what was Bill like? <laughs> it's funny. My roommate just asked me that yesterday, and I said, I said, uh, well, it's like meeting Jay Leno or David Letterman. He's a he's a people pleaser. He's super friendly, nice, looks you right in the eye, kind of thing, and very accommodating and. Uh, you know, we made jokes and 
it was funny. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it felt casual. He made us feel comfortable. Let's put it that way. You know? Yeah. There was no, um, wow, these guys are, you know, the wrong element or something. They're, they're dangerous. It was more like, Oh, Chelsea likes your band. And like, uh, and I'm like, oh, the lawn looks a little, I just mowed my lawn today. And I mowed lawns for 15 years when I was a kid. I started when I was 14. So I looked at the White House lawn and I went, mm, looks like it needs a little trim, Bill. And he's like, oh, gosh, I'll have to get my people on that. And I'm like, ah, man, take care of that lawn. You know, it was, it was very casual. And I, you know, I said, you want to, you want to jam? Oh, because he's a sax player. That would have been funny. Then I could play I jammed with a president. I could say it. He's probably more of a Kenny G dude, right? He's not He's not doing any Ornette Coleman no, type. I don't know, shit. man. I mean, if I had to say, I'd say he's kind of a Clarence Clemens guy. But Ooh. He's, he's older than that, you know? He's probably, a, his, his sax playing from a child is probably all jazz cats, you know? For sure, he's dude. He's not yeah, an idiot. That's, the way that I got you with at the drive-in, you just got me with Clarence Clemens. That's like, that's the trade-off that we have where I'm just like, yeah, dude, I think you just nailed it. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. All right, the next song I want to talk about uh, is, is shit from an old notebook. So this has random stream of consciousness lines about anti-commercialism before launching into the longest guitar solo on the album. Uh, Peter, do you have that? Ah, the good old days. When you could rip a lead and just go, ah, just leave the whole thing on there. You know, you think about... uh, Long guitar solos as being sort of a like a dinosaur rock thing or like yeah. Leonard Skinner or something like whatever. Um, I personally love to play guitar solos, but I never get to play them because I'm not the lead guitarist. Um, but uh, there was a lot of that. I mean, between Greg Ginn and Bob Mould and, uh, and Kirk Kirkwood and, uh, and D Boone, they're all really incredible guitar players. So Every now and then, I think that the the form or the form that forum form uh, was like yeah, anything goes. If you feel good, you know, fucking rip. 
put put one one minute song on your record and then put another twelve minute song on your record. Then put a backwards song. You could do anything you wanted, and that was the freedom of of those times. And and I think that that's pretty great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if we didn't know? what would happen if D Boone just let loose for a while on the guitar. I'm glad it's documented, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I think, I think you have to play something like that to then get to this song cohesion, because this is when I started to look at the record, like, holy shit, this is, uh, I've never heard anything like this album. Peter play the intro. So when this came on, I was like, did I accidentally start playing the movie Babbles soundtrack? Because this sounds like something from the Motorcycle Diaries. And I think that's why this album is so good, because you you can put this in the middle of the first, you know, side of the record or whatever. And and it's and it just still flows with it. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of uh, well, it's the beauty of the band and it's the beauty of the uh fuck you part of punk rock that is like, I like it. Do you like it? Yep. Okay, fine. Let's put it on a record. And it's not, Oh, is this punk rock enough? Or is this that, or this or that? It's, it's do whatever you want and do whatever feels good and, and have fun with it. And, uh, I mean, I I hope that influenced a lot of people because Yeah. yeah, when that song comes on the record, you're like, Holy shit. What are they going to do next? You know? It just, it keeps going like that. Yeah. All right. The next one I want to talk about is one reporter's opinion. So it starts off with this intro of some like loose jazzy noodling. And then the band snaps into their like funky, just unbelievable zone. Peter, play the opening line. Welcome your romantic to my quad. He's only a skeleton. His body is a series of points. So this was when I knew how close D Boone and Mike Watt were because this is just a song of him riffing on and shitting all over Mike Watt. I was looking at the lyrics and he's like, he's only skeleton. He's a stop sign. Uh, My favorite part is his body is a series of points. That's pretty great. If you can give your best buddy shit in a song, it's pretty awesome. You yeah, know, I don't think I ever got that far. You know, that's pretty good. That's that's different than you know, two different bands having a beef. That's two guys working it out in their lyrics. It's hilarious, and that you know, the honesty factor is always intact with the Minutemen. I mean, it, it never feels insincere. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's kind of funny. And there's real love. It's 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 like. I, I'm going to talk about this with Mike next week is that I have a friend that passed away in 2012 that I was my friend Angelo Bowers that was like a comic and I was so connected to and it's like just the way that he stopped playing he was like nope and I'm going to dedicate everything I do from this point on to uh, to D Boone is the same thing that I've been doing with everything in my career with the goddamn comedy jam my TV show and live series and then this I'm doing this because I just want I like Angelo knew so much about music. And so I want to like honor him. 
and and this is the shit that he would do to me just shit all over me you know he would be he would when i was when i was like 30 years old when i really started becoming friends with him we would be walking around magazine stores and he'd see a magazine cover with like kirk douglas on it and be like hey josh that's you so i mean that's like real friendship shit like if you're not shitting on your friends then you're not really friends i concur thank you, you. should uh hear the rapport between me and my roommate who plays in a band called Run Westy Run. Uh, and they, they were on SSD for a little while, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, if we don't give each other shit, there's something wrong. Yeah. Oh, and for sure. ultimately, I'm trying to make him laugh, you know. So I can insult him all day long until he laughs, and then, you know, he'll get me back. Yeah, it's no... Yeah question about that <laughs> it's the best it's the best it's like you should hear me and my producer jeremiah talk about each other it's like that's all i do is shit on him i the next one i want to talk about is political song for michael jackson to sing so mike watt wrote this swipe at other punk bands that use political statements and posturing for attention but were ignorant of the actual meanings of them. And so Watt was also semi-serious about writing it for Michael Jackson and even sent a cassette of it to Jackson's management. But they also knew that in 1984, anything with Michael Jackson's name on it would get attention, which it did on college radio. I hadn't thought of that angle. So when you sing a song about Bob Dylan, like you'll get... Yeah, dude. <laughs> that had not occurred to me. So one of the things that, you know, I heard immediately was I feel like the Eagles of Death Metal. Well, here, I'll play it for you and then you tell me what you think. All right. So, Peter, play the clip uh, of this song. Organizing the boys got their motorists wrong. Ten years beyond the big sweat boy. Man, it was still there ever without you. Coming back around. Now play four seconds into I Only Want You by Eagles of Death Metal. Yeah, it sounds like Precious by The Pretenders. That's what it sounds like to me. They are all in bed with one another and there's nothing wrong with that because i fuck with all three of those uh, songs beating two chords you can't you can't go wrong with yeah you can't go two wrong chords, I mean. let me ask you a question because being that this song is political you wrote a political song black gold about the relationship between america and iraq for what was it 1992's uh grave dancers union and you still play it at shows how has that meaning changed to you and to your audience well, I guess the sad thing to me is that the like uh, we've been doing this live stream thing and we're trying to play a hundred songs and I've gone deep into my catalog and uh, a repertoire or whatever it's called. You know, one of the earliest songs I wrote was about police br brutality, and it sounds like I wrote it yesterday. So uh, you know, black hole that shit hasn't changed i mean that's the sad part about it you know and as a matter of fact in the song black gold there's an instrumental section and the la riots were going on and we were recording in new york so we put some sound effects from the tv playing live la riot shit 
on the track. And today I just watched a, a National Geographic thing about the Rodney King situation. And uh, it's like a day hasn't passed. It's been, it looks like the streets of Minneapolis recently. And that to me is, is sad. I mean, I suppose I'm trying to call attention to something that most of the political or socio-political songs that I've written haven't, you know, I sang a song about Native American Indians the other day that I wrote 20 years ago, and it just sounds like today. It's weird, you know. I don't know if it's disappointing or if, but I mean, I can't keep writing the same song, you know. So I wrote a song about religion and religious television on my first record, and it's a pretty angry young man at that point, but uh, I don't need to revisit that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I nailed it when I was 20 or not 18 or whatever. Well, history repeats itself, man, and so... You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a revolution and a war one year. There'll probably be another one 15, 20 years down the road. The big song on this record, which I think is probably the most well-known, uh, is the next one I want to talk about. It's Corona. Uh, just play the intro, bro. not realize that was a Minutemen jam well that's awesome you know that's that's money going to where it belongs to, to be totally honest I I did not know that and that is great because who doesn't like jackass I mean it's, not, you know. it's the best but but this is the thing Dave this is the thing because I'm I'm the guy that didn't hear this song prior to that I was like this is from fucking jackass and then you hear the rest of the song and it's perfect. Peter, play 34 seconds in. The people will survive in their This song's about the poverty in Mexico after the band were down there drinking Coronas on the beach and they watched an elderly lady picking up their empty bottles for the refund. So it's a lot deeper than just guys getting kicked in the nuts. And it's fucking beautiful. Now, your music and voice has been utilized successfully on Backbeat, different soundtracks. Uh, and Soul Asylum has had a few songs in a bunch of Kevin Smith movies, too. So have you ever turned down the use of your music in anything? Yeah, I have. Uh, it's hard for me to remember because I was just like, what is it? Nah. You know, you just kind of blow it off. You're like, I don't care how much it pays. I ain't doing that. And I wish I could remember what it was. But most of my experiences with that have been good. You know, the first thing you want to know is, are they making fun of the song? And then you kind of, is it a nostalgia trip? You know, is it this? Is it that? Uh, it's a fucking, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. It's a comedy. And I thought, like, just recently saw the scene, and it's pretty funny where they use one of my songs. So, you know, I, I love movies, and I love comedy, and uh, yeah, I have never uh, been in a situation other than, you know, I didn't want to have my picture taken with Jesse Ventura, 
And I just didn't know why I just didn't want to, but it's not that hard for me to say no. I mean, so, you know, uh, and, and then there was an opportunity to sort of, Oh, you could make a whole lot of money if, uh, you know, you sold your, your, your publishing to a company that will use it however they see fit. And it was a substantial amount of money. And then I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I mean, my kid was like, do it. My ex-wife was like, do it. And I couldn't do it. And uh, I, I could just hear something in my head that was just like, Roseanne Cash turned down Preparation H because they wanted to use a, a ring of fire. Yeah, they did. <laughs> That's know, great. Like shit like that, you know. And it's like, ah, it ain't worth it. You know, anybody else, you know, and it's not for me. You know, I don't, I don't, I feel much better being uh, overprotective than I don't care. So, so I've had relatively good experiences because I'm picky, you know? Yeah. You have to be. All right. This ain't no picnic. This is probably... I'd say this is probably my favorite song on the record. And this is D Boone's blue collar workers anthem detailing the struggles and hassles of employment in a hostile environment. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of it. Hey, Mr. This song slaps, dude. Yes, dude. It slaps, man. Yeah, I don't know any fans that play like that anymore. I mean, maybe they're out there, but I mean, the last thing I researched, I love the way people watch to use that word. The last time I researched something, uh, it was Hellfest. Have you ever heard of Hellfest? No, tell me. It's like a heavy metal festival in France, at, at France, and it's it's huge. Um, I, I'm curious about all kinds of music, but that just sounds so fresh to me, and so right, and so like aggressive in all the right ways. You know, kind of that's how you do it. You know, what is it like Ozfest? Like those kind of bands? That's it's close enough. It's been going on for I don't know, ten years or something. It's just huge, and they they have like a death metal stage and a black metal stage and a punk rock stage, and it says, "Wow!" I, I, they figured something out about like kind of not charging people a lot of money and stuff. So it looks like everyone's having a good time. It's just it's mostly metal. And, uh, yeah, I like music that hits hard, but that's a different, that's a different kind of muscle. What I just heard there like this, that's good. That's strong. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. (laughs) And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, 
revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. Well, so we talked about how they made the music video for 600 bucks. They used that old black and white footage, uh, young Ronald Reagan shooting at uh, and dropping bombs from a plane at them because he was president at the time. And you took the music video for Runaway Train and turned it into something really special because despite the song being about depression, you utilized your public forum to show the names and pictures of missing and runaway youths, and that actually helped to find and return some home. And that's like fucking hero shit, bro. Did you ever hear from any of those kids or families like afterwards? I did. I met a, a, a handful of them. The mother and the daughter would come backstage and go she saw her face on tv and she came home it was pretty amazing you know it was a phenomenal experience and the uh the credit goes to tony k have you seen uh american history x oh of course i know tony k i met him at a restaurant and he said milk cartons and i went what are you talking about and he goes you know how they used to use milk cartons to identify missing children. And I'm like, yep. Which apparently they also had in England because he's British. Um, but that was kind of the, you know, the genesis of the whole concept. And uh, I don't know if I use that word right. I think I did. But uh, yeah, it, it turned into a public service announcement and it, and it did exactly what I was hoping to do, which was kind to, kind of trying to sort of transcend the the phoniness of, of whatever was going on at the time and try to, you know, do something real. And, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was, it's still a great experience. People still, they just recut a new version of it with young pop stars for the same cause. Really? Yeah, it's it's like I can't remember her name, but uh, it's like three young pop stars. She's got really nice tattoos, and she has a cool name. But yeah, they remade the video with new missing children in it, and at some point they started, uh, you know, reissuing the video with different missing children from different continents. I mean, it just it, it was great. I, I mean. I would say great. I would say it's freaking tragic. I mean, the Polly Kloss thing happened around that time. And uh, there I was at a dinner table with uh, Polly's parents and she was missing. It's heart wrenching, heartbreaking stuff, you know? So to that effect, I think that anything you can do to help is well worth it. You know? Yeah. How fast did, did, I mean, did you realize as you were writing Runaway Train that, like, it was something special? 
or is it or are you just like just writing another song not particularly i was pretty down in the dumps you know when you're down in the dumps uh so uh yeah i was i was discovering depression and uh that's not fun um so I, I I started noticing that people liked the song when I think I hired the manager. He listened to about half the song and he went, "That's it. I want to manage this band." And I, I that was the first time I was like, "Oh, hmm." Now that was convincing enough for him, I guess. But that you know, that's about it. Otherwise, it's just another song, you know. Yeah, but it's special, man. It's it's a great track, man. It's a really great track. It's very, very important to like to my like high school years. It was just I think I I think I I, I made out with uh, Noelle Lemire to it, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, uh, now you just ruined that song. Dude, she was hot, bro. She was hot, dude. <laughs> Noelle, baby, if you out there, girl, I'm I'm single. All right. Um, because of lack of time, there are so many songs on this record that are fucking incredible. History Lesson Part 2, The Glory of Man. I mean, I could go on and on because this record is so great, but let's just dive right into facts, all right? You want to do some facts and get out of here? Yeah, I don't know what that means, but sure. These are the facts, facts. These are the... All right, we don't have much time. Uh, Minutemen's first show was with Punk Legends Black Flag, who they also co-headlined a tour with before this album. Mike Watt went on to marry their bass player, Kira Rossler, in 1987. What was the greatest or most memorable show you ever played, bro? Gosh, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's most important for me to get certain shows right. It doesn't really matter. It kind of matters how often I played the club. So, like, we just played at Cabaret Metro in Chicago, and we hadn't played there for a while. And I was like, you know, Dave, do not fuck this up. Um, But our tour got cut short because of the virus, and we had a good show in New York, and we had a good show in Minneapolis, we had a good show in Chicago, and we had a good show in L.A., and... Tour was almost over, but they were all, I think, you know, my favorite shows. I mean, I, I am remembering playing Ross Gilda Festival in Holland, and they had what we call a an ego ramp. Yeah. You know, a ramp that goes out into the crowd. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was called an ego ramp. <laughs> well, that's what we call it. Um, and, you know, we, we were not cordless. So uh, I... I too have a song where I get to play a lead that could go on for a while or I had one. And, uh, so I'm like, I'm going out there, man. I'm going to go out on the ego ramp out into the crowd and rip a lead. And I get out there and I'm ready to rip a lead and the guitar comes unplugged and I'm just standing there with my pants down. You know, you remember shit like that. I I don't know. There's a lot of shows. (laughs) I just hope we don't suck pretty much most of the time but my life got a whole lot easier when uh well when i when i when i found michael bland our drummer or when he found me uh it was game changer so uh, you're only as good as your drummer i totally believe that and uh i'm a very lucky man to that 
effect. All right. Their name was thought to be a play on how short their songs were, but it was really a swipe at similarly named right-wing militia groups. So I wanted to ask you, how did you guys come up with the name Soul Asylum? Uh, it was a song. Uh, it was kind of more of a poem, but I made a song out of it, and the song was kind of eh. But the, I think the nature of the song was kind of trying to understand where music comes from, I think. And I just sort of put the two words together, and the, the band's name was Loud Fast Rules. And I just thought this is not going to go anywhere because it feels too constricting. So we wanted something that was more, I guess, open-ended. And uh, that's what we decided on after considering some really bad ideas. Whoa, wait, wait. What were the what were the other ones? Give me a couple of the shit ones. I don't know, man. Nipple ring. Rug burn. Like, just nipple ring. Whatever, yeah. The replacements were going to be called Dog Breath, which I still think is a pretty funny name for a rock band. I don't know if that's a jab at dogs because, I mean, my dog Lekka's got incredible breath. I give her bones every day so it fixes her teeth, but I'm just letting you... You live a perfect life, man. I just took her to the vet today. Last dog I saw was an old pug and that breath was not good. Isn't it funny that, isn't it funny that when, like, when you meet a dog, you, you kind of have to smell him too? Or is that just me? Is that my weird thing? <laughs> like, oh no, they're smelling you. You know, they're yeah, dude. smelling you. They're tasting you, licking you. You know, right on, dude. This was so much fun, buddy. I really appreciate you taking time out to talk with us. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. It's fun. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Dave Perner. Everybody, I want you guys to go on Spotify, listen to Soul Asylum, give him that stream, check out his brand new studio album, the 12th one, Hurry Up and Wait. It's fantastic. He also put out a book called Loud Fast Words, which is an annotated, is that the word? Annotated collection of lyrics that includes an essay about each of his albums. On Instagram, you can find him at Soul Asylum Official. At Twitter, you can find him at Soul Asylum and you can check everything, all things Soul Asylum at soulasylum.com Rate, review, and subscribe to the 500 in whatever way you listen to it. If you're listening to it on Apple, leave us a five-star review. Hook us up now. We just listened to Minutemen from 1984. This week, our new music pick is Less Miserable. Less Miserable is an alternative punk band from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Formed in 2014 by friends James Martins and Alistair McLeod, Less Miserable specializes in self-deprecating post-emo pop punk. Like Minutemen, they made the kind of tunes that are perfect for drinking cheap beer and shouting along the sweaty basement with friends. Uh, what about for us sober people? Their debut album, Insufficient Funds, check out the track, The Last Lonely Boy, on Spotify. You can find the music on our website at the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week! is Wire Week as we dig deep into their 1977 debut album, Pink Flag. It's a Wang Zuki. Do your homework. Listen on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. Next chapter podcasts.